Hello and welcome to the Church of Max and Anuj. Today's episode begins with a current topic involving the coronavirus. However, we'll move on to discuss different views on life one may get from being a doctor. If there is one man I would spend the rest of my life discussing the fabric of the universe and life with, it would be today's guest, aside from Max, of course. And he happens to live just down my street, which is an added bonus. Join us as we uncover how the coronavirus will change our lives and how we view life forever. And join us as we discuss the views of, of a doctor. This is Life Could Be a Dream. My name is uh, Omar Ali. Uh, I'm a physician, a cardiologist, an interventional cardiologist, and I work at a city hospital here in Massachusetts. All right. Uh, just to get started, um, what is coronavirus? In like a short overview, can you explain it to us and why it's so bad? Yeah, absolutely. So it's an RNA virus. It's the it's a, corona is a group of viruses, you know, and they they type them. And I'm not a microbiologist, so they type these viruses by, you know, how, basically their their composition, their RNA makeup. So it's a little piece of RNA. Uh, it, it has, well, I should say it's RNA. It's its, its own small uh, organism, for lack of a better term. And it has the capability of entering cells of different species, whether that's bat, now it's human. Uh, and it enters uh, by different ways. It can either kind of seep through pores or it can sort of latch on with a protein. In any event, the coronaviruses, and this is not the first one, uh, do have a way of entering cells, replicating, controlling the cell, and really taking over the organism, you know, and, and, what, and again, I, I don't know specifically what cor this Corona, this is Corona 19. It just got labeled based on the year it came out. I don't know specifically what, what hosts it's preferential to. We know it goes, attacks bats. And so if a bat gets it and flies next to another bat, another bat gets it. Okay. Uh, but of course what has happened now, and I don't know if that may be based on mutation. It now is, is now able to enter the human as a host. Uh, and the reason it, yeah, there's two reasons why it's dangerous. Uh, one is uh, when it enters, uh, it can enter efficiently, it can replicate efficiently, and it can dive down into the lungs. That's the biggest problem. So it, it doesn't so much attack the throat, sore throat, things like that, although it does. It, it, it just gets, and the human being breathes it down into the lungs. And then when it hits the lungs, it can wreak havoc, absolute havoc. So... That's why it's dangerous. The other reason it's dangerous is because it has this, you guys probably know, long incubation period, which is to say, if you sneeze, if you sneeze on me, uh, I'll feel good for four days or five days, and I can go then sneeze on five other people. Ideally, every virus would have a short incubation period. In other words, you get sneezed on and you get sick in an hour, because then you can identify who has it and who does not. So those are the two reasons it's dangerous. One is how it behaves and attacks the human host. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty substantial. Uh, the flu also can be, you know, the flu can kill. But the other reason is this incubation period, is that these carriers, humans, me, you, walk around with it completely unaware of it. You know, I think Kevin Durant, the NBA player, has zero symptoms. So, and, and, and he's not alone. So that, that, those are the two reasons why this guy's dangerous. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about the flu. I saw that there's about 
8,000 to 20,000 people that die from flu-related illnesses each year in the U.S. Why is the flu so much different and so much more? We have to panic so much more about it. I mean, the COVID-19. Right. So, you know, um, a lot of the the flu is tough. Some people die of the flu and you don't even know that, that that's not even necessarily the cause of death. You know, you're talking about an elderly person in a nursing home, gets a cough, dies. And she's somebody who's at that stage of her life where you would not bring her into the hospital, push on her chest or all these things we do. So she dies. So she, she, she more than likely, because she had the cough, had a virus, maybe she had a bacteria. And then we assume that maybe that's the flu or not the flu, flu A, flu B, or, or a garden variety virus, not even influenza. Flu is influenza, by the way, guys. Corona is a group of viruses. Influenza is a group of them. So the flu um, doesn't attack the lungs quite the way this one does, although it does. The, but all viruses can be lethal in the sense that the virus itself can get you or your body's response to the virus can get you. So your immune system goes ballistic. And with the flu, we see a lot of that. The other thing with the flu is people often die because the bacteria jumps in there. The flu is not, as I understand it, quite as contagious and it doesn't have this long incubation period. And when you do get it, it doesn't kind of as predictably attack the lungs. So I think that that's what makes this one more dangerous you know i mean this thing is said if we if this thing wasn't curtailed right and you guys know you know if measures were not taken <laughs> it would be rampant i think what would happen is everyone would have had it by now or in a week or in a month um not everyone would have died not even a fraction of people would have died but everyone would have gotten sick but there would have been a lot more deaths um just because yeah i think you know the the, the flu t- the flu could, you know last this winter the flu killed two kids in massachusetts so the flu can kill as well um, uh, but this particular virus, yeah, can really annihilate an elderly person because if you start inflaming someone's lungs, listen, if you guys got it and got it bad, and we can talk about why that could happen, um, you wouldn't, yeah, you would not die, but you'd feel really lousy for 10 days because of the way it attacks your lungs. If you got the flu and got it bad, uh, you guys would not feel as lousy for as long, uh, because the, the flu doesn't sit there and inflame the lungs the way this does. Uh, so that's kind of the story there. Yeah, you're right. I think when the thing came three, four weeks ago, everyone sort of looked at it as a flu, but those, those are, that's really the distinction. Okay. And one last question. I know yeah. there's a lot of rumors about uh, as it gets warmer, that the coronavirus will sort of like die down just like the flu does. Is this right. true? And how do we, is there any like signals when the peak of the coronavirus would be? Right. Good, great question. So, and this again, I would defer to the people I read and listen to, other the docs who are infectious disease doctors. When it gets warm, it should die down. You know, it, it gets it's it's like anything else. This 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 virus is lipophilic. The outside of it is sort of like, you know, it, it gets through cells, uh, human body cells through its you know fat coat. We call it lipid, and so that's why washing hands is so effective. Okay. So, but this virus, like any virus, needs a certain environment and, and climate, okay? If you dry this virus up, it dies, okay? That's actually, you know, and, and we are using that principle the way we protect ourselves in the hospital. So when, ch- when temperature flux changes and it gets warmer and hotter and the potential to get drier, and it's not just hot, cold, it's a variety of other things. It could be humidity. Yes, that's why we have seasonal flu. Seasonal flu is dependent on not the fact that the bugs like October, it's just that's conducive to life of the virus and therefore transmission of the virus. So this will die down. This particular will die down. 
uh, and potentially recur. So yeah, I think that's why people are really looking at, you know, April and May. The shutdown concept's a little different because it's so out there, but I do think we're going to be in better shape when the weather gets better in May. You guys both know this virus is all over the country. This virus is in, in countries that are closer to the equator as well. So I, I don't know. I can't tell you whether this is a little bit of a tougher virus. That's why, you know, the experts are not going to sit there and absolutely pin, be pinned down about the temperature concept. And I'm not an expert. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, uh, yes, temperature, when it gets warm, should help. But they don't want to absolutely be pinned down on it because that's an unknown. Remember, we, we deal with the influenza virus more often. Corona, we don't. You know, we haven't had a corona problem in this country for years. So it's a different virus. Can I? So, guys, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, because, like, we have a vaccine for the flu. Yep. So do you think, like, now going on, will, will our lives be different because we'll have to get a vaccine for, for corona we, every single year as well? Yeah, so you guys may – were you guys around for that swine flu? I don't, yes, I think, yeah, we younger. were. I Isn't do remember. Six years ago? Do you guys, <clears throat> yeah. Do you guys remember the swine flu? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. So, you know, and again, I think that the host there was a pig. So they call it the swine flu, and it hit us bad, not like this. And then we did develop in that season's flu vaccine. We, you could get the flu standard, and then you got the uh, vaccine for the swine flu. Now we don't get a swine flu vaccine every year. Why? Because it's subsided. You're right. We will have a vaccine. They've got to prove safety. Um, they, they'll, they'll create it. The problem with vaccines, and I think you fellas know this, is that vaccines – um, allow you to mount an immune system when you see that virus again. What if that virus mutates? You know, every year the flu, we have problems with that. You know, there's flu A, there's flu B, there's the flu itself, the same flu A that mutated, right? And you guys know about mutation, I know, because you're, you're, you're kind of moving through high school, taking biology. So any vaccine that gets developed, you know, you have to worry about that. And, and notoriously, whether it's influenza Corona, I'm told, has already mutated eight or nine, eight or nine times a little bit, uh, and that's the trick. But I, yeah, we'll have a vaccine, and like and, and, and like every vaccine, it's not 100 percent protective for the two re for for two reasons. One is mutation, and the other one is you give someone a vaccine, and then you, your body still has to build antibodies. Your body still has to build immunity, and human beings are all a little bit different. So yeah, we'll we'll have a vaccine. I'm I'm, I'm confident that we'll have one. And we'll have it for the fall. We're not going to, it's not going to help us the next two weeks. You guys know that, but we'll have it for the fall. I'll take it. And so like now we also see like, uh, we know that you are in a hospital where, you know, there is Corona and you have to, like you said, you have to come in and this and that. And so in other States like New York, we also see like doctors who have previously retired or are coming back to work in the hospitals. And um, they're even graduating, like, medical yep. students early. So do you think, um, like, going to med school and becoming a doctor is, like, do you think you have a duty to society to serve um, against corona, no matter, like, what your previous, like, yeah, expertise think, are? Do you think all doctors sh should come absolutely. and help I, out? I think unequivocally the answer is yes. The, the problem there, of course, is, you know, not all doctors do the same thing. You don't want to take an orthopedic surgeon and have him run an ICU. That's inappropriate. Uh, but, 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 but almost all doctors come through and they have some ICU training. What you ideally would want is active doctors who may, you know, the ICU docs, it's easy. They, they're, they're on the front line, the ER doctors, it's easy. The doctors you're seeing being brought back out of retirement in New York is, yeah, that's a quantity thing. Let's say you retire, you're an ICU doctor, you retired two years ago, but you're still fit. 
boy, they could sure use you right now. And they're also looking for out of state and they're trying to get kids out of medical school. Medical school is great, but the problem is you haven't really been through the wars yet. You know, you haven't, it's, it's the residents that are probably more useful or if you could get people to graduate a fellowship. Fellowship is, you know, there's all these levels of training. Um, but I, yeah, it is, yeah. It, 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 it's a duty. Now, remember this with this one. I, I've been in out of the hospital nonstop for a week. Um, and, and yeah, there's a ton, there's a bunch of Corona patients there. Many, many individuals, some sick, some really sick, some not as sick. There might be patients there that, you know, a lot of them are just being ruled out and we're very careful with them. But in the hospital, it's almost a military environment in terms of hygiene standards, cleaning surfaces, the masks we use. When you're in Demolis, what, what is the, what is our supermarket guys? Roach? What, what do you shop, Max? I shop at Market Basket, Trader Joe's. Okay. So when you go to Trader Joe's two and a half weeks ago, you, and again, it's not just coughing and sneezing. You are within range of droplets of a number of people could be at the counter, could be walking by. And I'm not saying they have the virus, but we, we, all three of us know they could, and they will be a hundred percent asymptomatic, right? They'll feel great. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, at the hospital, you're a little more protected in that way. I mean, again, if you isolate in your home and don't move for two and a half months, you're in pretty good shape in terms of not contact. But if you, if you choose to leave your house, particularly go to environments where you need to go, you're at risk. I'm going to mention as a sidebar, because you guys may not ask this directly, but, but, you know, the people who get the sickest from this virus, other than the elderly and the people with a lot of other medical illness, which you guys have heard about. But for the younger folks who get sick, it's when you are in the presence of somebody who is typically more infected in a more infectious state, a little bit sicker, and they maybe cough or sneeze in your direction. So you get an inoculum, you get a high viral load, boom, like boom. And so, you know, if you, if you get that, it could overwhelm your immune system. And that's where younger, healthier people can get super sick, like a paramedic who's 30, who gets coughed on, boom, a huge load hits him, as opposed to a paramedic who doesn't get coughed on, but, you know, he walks by someone at, at, Trader Joe's and gets breathed on. He might convert to COVID, but he probably won't get super sick because he's otherwise healthy. So that that's, I think, the reassurance that I would take sort of for younger people in terms of it's not that you can't get it. It's not that you can't. It won't hurt you and, you know, really make you feel bad. But that's why you'll get through it. If that makes sense. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we should also be you know, taking precautions and like kids are still out there hanging out with each other. So you, you think that we should, that, I think that has to be stopped. The coronavirus, it does. You know, if the flu were more virulent, like, like let's last season's flu or the flu, you could walk around with for 10 days, five days without knowing about it, which tends not to be the case. You know, the flu's latency, latency period is bug enters your body and then you get symptoms. The, 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 the two times, one is the bug gets in you and Two is you get the symptoms, whatever, the cough, the sore throat, the breathing problem. Latency period is the time between those two, okay? The latency period on flu viruses typically is not that long. You get coughed on the next day, you're a little achy, okay? We, by and large, the latency period on this one is really impressive. It's almost as though because, you, because it's not hitting, you know, the way the flu, you sneeze, you cough, and your sore throat, and maybe this or that. Here, this passes through your, your up top part of your lung system and goes right down to the lungs so it doesn't really attack and sneeze and cough but then like three four or five days later it starts inflaming your lungs and so it's the latency period that is scary so on this particular virus which is lethal 
and, and you know, contagious. Uh, social isolation is more important than on any other virus, although the case can be made if you get a real bad flu season. There should, you know, and historically two, three years ago, they said, don't shake people's hands, you know, sneeze into your arm. Uh, you know, if you're really sick, don't go to school. By the way, next flu season at school, you know, when you guys will probably be in college by then, when it's flu season, you'll see a lot more masks than you saw last flu season, um, which is probably reasonable to do. You know, if you have a cough, you should wear it. And if it's a high season, I do think, guys, and you guys may ask me this, this is going to change our approach to life in general. Uh, this, this one, what this has done to our country. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be a different people from this point forward. But you guys probably have an awareness of that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, well do you want to talk about that? Like how? How will okay, that so this, change our life? Yeah. So financially, going this thing's going to buy. So you guys were not around. Yeah, you were. You were kids. When 9-11 came along, different concept. You know, there there was an enemy and whatnot, and it changed everything, whether it was the airports or security. It cost our country trillions. Not just the trade centers going down, just the recovery, the level of protection. You know, every air flight, it drove up, to, you know, the tickets went up because the security levels up. It created more of a fear. The amount yeah. of money we had, a, a war we didn't need to be on, the amount, trillions of money. It changed our, our world forever, forever. Made us safer, perhaps. You know, I, I don't know. I think you're right. You know, no one's been flying planes into buildings lately. This thing will change the way we interact with each other long term. Uh, we will have, you know, basketball games again. Uh, but when one guy coughs, he might, he might be asked to leave. You'll see more masks show up. It, the financial repercussions are unbelievable. You know, I think that if we did have a high level of testing up front and segregated people like Germany, we'd be back on our, yeah, we'd be back yeah. on our feet financially quicker. Uh, but this is going to last. This social quarantine business shutdown is going to be long it's good it's going to be a minimum of two months which is long um so uh, i think that on the other side of all of this even as we you know there'll be a death toll there'll be a lot of people hurt by this but the way we approach the common cold you know there'll be a virus in zimbabwe three years from now that we'll read about and it'll create a level of hysteria the airline industry who you fly in and out of the country there'll be long-term repercussions i think you guys know that and and it's unfortunate but if it wasn't this one, you know, the, the experts would say there was one coming, you know. So we, 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 we you know, we, we're world citizens, the three of us. We, we don't want to be overly protective of our boundaries. We don't want to just say, uh, hey, buddy, you're from that country. Don't come to mind for whatever reason. Uh, but this is, the, the, this is, you know, the next country it could be any country it could be. A white, green, brown country, if it has a little bit of this, you know, the other coronaviruses, one came, one was Middle Eastern, and I think the SARS was China. So, you know, you, then you look at the countries differently. You know, people are looking at China differently already. So, yeah. So yeah. That, that's the tough part for me. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of relatives in different countries, and I'd hate to see sort of like the travel restrictions, like increase and things like that. Okay, Max, Doc makes a good point, and it's important to emphasize social distancing for everyone, not just for the people at risk. Yeah, I mean, Doc mentioned that often younger people have absolutely no symptoms of the virus, even though they've contrived it, like uh, Kevin Durant, did he say? And this is very alarming, yeah. because when those kids, they don't, they don't pay any attention to the social distancing because they're not worried about getting infected, but then they go around and they infect many other people who can be susceptible to the dangers of the virus. 
Yes, that's very true. But although this is important, there are always going to be people who are who ignore those rules and recommendations to not interact with people too much. So if that continues, then we will be fighting an uphill battle for even longer, and it will be tougher on our doctors as well. Yeah, I mean we briefly mentioned it, but the world needs as many doctors and nurses and any kind of medical assistance as possible during this time. And uh, professional doctors, they don't pop out of nowhere. I mean it's a very long process to become a doctor. Yeah, and that's why so many medical students and retired doctors should feel the need to serve on the front lines of the coronavirus. It's simply necessary to aid humankind and for the well-being of everyone and even their own families. We we need current doctors who might have a private practice to come out and help in hospitals. And like Dr. like Dr. Ali said, you know, when you go to med school, you have a certain duty to serve during these crises. Yeah, I mean, you do, you go to med school for a reason. It's not just. I mean, that's your that's your passion. That's what you want to become. This is, yeah, this it's your job. Yeah, exactly. And this is just one example of how coronavirus is going to affect us in the future. And I mean, as Doc said, we're going to take so many more precautions and be more precautious in the future. And I mean, all the people that are sick and coughing over all over the place, like people who get the flu in the future, people are going to be so worried about them. And. I mean, the corona, COVID-19 could very much come back next winter. Yeah, and that's why, you know, it's got to be incorporated into the vaccines and everything. So, but, but let's, let's try to bring some good into this, too. So, you know, although this is a terrible time, it's heartwarming to see doctors of all kinds and even retired ones to come out and serve for the greater good. You know, it allows families to come together. And I have the time to call my grandmother all the time now and talk to her. You know, I almost talk to her almost every single day. So there's always positives in negatives and and we just need to find those, you know? Yeah. I just wanted to move on to you specifically as a cardiologist and sort of your path. And I know it's very expensive and it's a long takes a long time to like through pre-med and med school and being an intern and everything like that to become a doctor. How did this process sort of change the way you look at life or change you as a person? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's changed me uh, radically, you know, I, 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 because my path is that's right. It's cardiology. There's a ton of training and whatnot, but then you sort of settle and do that thing. And for better or for worse, a lot of doctors are super good at one thing. And not great at a lot of other things. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not good at anything else. Like, literally anything else. So, you know, but, but, but the world will always need doctors. You know, I think it's one of those things when you talk about a job or a guild, right? I'm part of a guild. Like, it doesn't really matter what happens next. It could be anything. It could be 9-11. could be this. could be a depression. You know, a financial there's going to be a job. I may not make more. I may make less, make more. I may work more hours or less. Um, I think, you know, uh, this, the, the only way this has changed uh, me, me is that uh, I think that on virus, on something like this, you, you cannot be careless and cavalier. You know, there's this expression like henny penny, the sky's falling. There's people out there who are always worried about the other thing to come. And you're like, you have to talk people off the ledge. As a doctor, four out of five people, one, you, you you tell them they got a problem, you try to fix it. The other four, you try to calm them down and relax them. It's a very, very fine, fine sort of needle. You know, it's, you got to be careful. In this one, you really needed people to be super cautious early. And that, that probably changed me because it's not my nature, nature to be reactionary. But on this one, 
Uh, we needed the reactionary people and we needed to be listening to them a little bit earlier and a little bit more. And now it's not that it's too late. I think, you know, but some of what we're feeling is as a result of it. Now, mind you, and you guys know this, you could have done everything perfectly right. Closed borders, this or that. And you'd still be dealing with a problem. The magnitude wouldn't quite be the same. So that's kind of, that's, that's the deal with that. I think I'm a little bit more antenna up now and a little bit more reactionary than maybe I was this time last year. Mm-hmm. well has um well if like the process of like becoming a doctor didn't really change you that much did um you know working in a hospital and maybe like an emergency room where like you saw people die but you also saw people recover did that change yeah, so that, how you looked on life advantage a cardiologist has you, you know the way medicine has gone cardiology you can turn people around super quick you can take the sickest person in the building and make them all better and he wants to go home in an hour so that's the beauty of that, that particular, it's not unlike a surgeon, right? A surgeon cuts, fix, you know, and so it's gratifying uh, in, in, that, in that regard. But, um, you know, the, the life death thing, and, I, and this relates to this coronavirus, you, I hate to say it, you get a little bit, you're not sort of, you get a little unemotional about it. It's not that we're bad people or insensitive, but you can, you can ill afford to be overly emotional about it because that can affect, you know, how systems behave. Right now we need, not me, we need intensivists who are acting in the interest of a community who are looking at resources, PPE, protective equipment, vents. We just got more vents, a ton of vents, so we're ready. And they have to be a little unemotional about things. And they also are going to, you know, in, in New York and in Italy, they made ethical decisions. They said, you get to live and you don't. Now, New York is not used to that over the last hundred years. And Italy, by and large, wasn't either. If you can help somebody, you, do, you, you throw the kitchen sink at them. That's not the case right now, right? It's, it's almost like war zone in the sense that there are ex, you know, there's finite amount of resources. You know, the governor there in New York can get 100 beds tomorrow, but he needed them yesterday. And a couple people were trans. And it's not that they do, oh, you get the vent and you don't, but you can transition a patient mentally, physically, you can in a family and say, this is not right. He's not going to get through. We're not going to subject him to this, you know, and so that a lot of that is sort of happening now. So. But uh, no, I, I, I don't, I, I think that uh, the actual process of work, you know, it, it is, that's another podcast. Medicine's gotten very complex with bureaucracy and third parties and things like that. But the reality is, yeah, you leave the hospital every day and you, something positive happened work-wise. So that's good, right? And that gives, yeah, it gives you good. That's yeah. why you see, Anuj, I have such a sunny outlook on life. <laughs> no, it might be, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not... Uh, yeah, I'm not a deeply spiritual yeah. person. I, off the record, I'm an atheist, although I guess I'm now on the record. So I don't get sort of a sense of well-being from, you know, other things that people might derive it from. But I do think aside from family, which gives you a, a, a shit, I can't curse, a ton, a ton of, you know, sense of well-being. That when you leave work and come home, even though it's nonsensical and you haven't slept in two days, you get a little bit of gratification built in there, whether you're aware of it or not. You know, you know I'm not high-fiving yourself. But you have this sort of sense yeah. that, you know, you were productive that day. So I, I think that, that that ultimately is why it is worthwhile to attempt to get to the process of becoming a doctor. That, yeah, I think so. But but how does it feel when when you don't like, succeed and you might yeah. lose a patient? Like, yeah, it's not how, how do you so bounce if, back if, from if that? It's, if it's a situation where you left it all at the, you know, you, you did what you thought you could or you got other people to do. You know, that's part of it, too. You've got to get other people to sort of be on board. Uh, 
it's, it's a complete team approach. That could be a paramedic, that could be a nurse, uh, that could be uh, an ICU doctor, that could be within your room, that could be equipment. If you feel like you didn't, um, you didn't meet the standard of care, what was offered, or you were deficient, then it beats you up. If you made a decision that was wrong, and if you really looked at it a different way, you would have made a different decision. Then you carry that for weeks, months, years. There's a couple out there that years, uh, a couple individuals who might be around if I made a different decision. So I wish, I wish in that respect, I was a little bit more like a, you know, these relief pitchers in baseball and they're coming in the ninth, they have to have a very short memory. You know, they, they give up a lead, a home run, they lose the game psychologically, psyche wise, they better be ready the next day. You know, and I think the great relief pitchers are that they bounce back. Doctors are different, you know, cut from a different mold and it's not, you know, baseball is not life and death, but it's harder to bounce back. You don't want to do something differently the next day just because it didn't work out that day. So it's, it, that part's not always easy. I don't sleep much. I don't know. Maybe it's because of in part related to that. I, I, I also sleep with one eye open and all this. <clears throat> Meanwhile, I had almost fallen asleep when the podcast started. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm that's why I was so in disarray, you know, because sleep comes in different places. But anyway, yeah, that's the doctor piece. But I, I, I digress. I think I'm off topic almost. Anuj, mistakes can be some of the most influential moments in our lives. Am I right? Yes, yes, I agree. There are always mistakes that you make and you will never forget, which can be difficult for many, especially doctors like Dr. Ali. Yeah, and the reason for this is that they're working with the lives of other humans, real human beings, and often, doctor, often doctors literally have the lives of others in their hands, which can, which can be terrifying, and their mistakes often determine if someone lives or dies. I think there is a misconception that if you are a doctor, you are prepared for the worst, and all the responsibilities that come with the profession. But as Dr. Ali said, everyone makes mistakes. But are you the kind of person that learns from those mistakes, or will you dwell on them and lie awake at night? Yeah, I'm going to quickly quote Dr. Ali here. He said, you don't want to do something different the next day because it didn't work out that day. And he's completely right in saying this because often mistakes aren't 100% one person's fault. And not to make it sound like a good thing, but mistakes can often be a group effort, and sometimes they can be unavoidable or meant to happen for a reason even. And that's why it is hard for doctors to do the same thing when the day before someone died. Um, when being a doctor, one has to be able to deal with the negatives in life, including mistakes, as well as the responsibility of people holding you accountable for the life of, of a loved one. Yeah, I mean, accountability is a massive part of being a doctor, as Doc Lee can probably agree. And many doctors work long, hard shifts, and then on top of all of the stress of this, like, responsibility that builds up, and then it keeps them awake at night, which is not good, because keeping doctors tired and then being tired for the next shift is can be very dangerous. But obviously, to counter all of these negatives, there's always positives in these situations. Yeah, enough about the gloomy parts. Um, the positives are the real reasons doctors pursue medicine and find their passion in their field. The gratitude I can just imagine is like it's it amounts to nothing that we can even imagine. Like it's just unbelievable. And in a discipline like being a doctor, um, to try and picture what it's like, you know, you finish an 18-hour shift, and after helping so many patients and reassuring loved ones that the patient is going to be okay, 
It's like a feeling that, that me and you cannot describe, you know. It's even hard for Dr. Ali to describe. But, you know, I guess for a better lack of word, it's just the goodness of your of what you've done, the gratitude. It overtakes you. And, and maybe not immediately, like Dr. Ali said, you know, some days you might not even know that you feel the gratitude. But over time, I think it's something that, that you feel. Yes, yes. I can now start to picture this this this, this feeling that you're describing in it. And I'm sure you get hooked on this feeling. I'm sure many doctors get hooked on this feeling because they know that they're positively impacting society. And once you become a doctor and that's sort of your life, you know what I'm saying, Linderj? It's very, very addictive to to finish these shifts and then get that feeling of gratitude. Yeah, and I think that's why people become doctors, you know? Yes, I very much understand what you're saying. And because of this, we we have to appreciate doctors for their service at all times. And especially now when we're faced with a pandemic because they have to make many difficult decisions like who gets you know who gets a bed who gets an icu um these decisions that, that they affect more than just the ones who are being treated because they have to live with those decisions they make they also affect the doctors it is important to treat doctors like human beings because i think we get caught up in thinking that they are robots with zero emotion that cannot make mistakes Yes, I think that's very true, Nudge. And often their lack of emotion is what allows them to make critical decisions, and it can take a toll on their personal life. Uh, sleep is not abundant for doctors. Like, at the end just now, Doc was saying how he got, how he just got up, and he talked about how little sleep he gets most of the week because doctors have such, such incredibly difficult lifestyles with these hard, long hours that they have to work each week. Yes, and the positivity Doctor Ali shows in his daily life through all the restless nights and the thoughts of, oh, I, I could have saved a life if I would have done this instead of that. You know, that's a form of strength because many people crack underneath, under the weight of his profession and the lifestyle he lives. Yes, I very much agree. In becoming a doctor, was it the positive impact you have on society or did the money play a larger role in your decision to become a doctor? Yeah, so when I, um, so the money as a doctor, the money, the real money's not there anymore. There was more of it in the 70s and 80s. I think you'll see the doctors who make the most money actually morph their careers, uh, pick up another degree, become financial. They're CEO, CEOs out there. Um, the job security is there and the basic financial success is there, although that's even under contest. I, I, I didn't. So my pop was a doc and Nudge probably knows he's probably met him out in the front lawn. So I wasn't going to be a doctor. I, I went to college in Boston. I, mean, I was I was economics. I was going to be some form of uh, a businessman. But then I think, you know, you, you, um, hemodynamics and physiology and the sort of things that intrigue me, you know, predictability, there's a little bit of a scientist in me that drew me back. I, you could make the case I was a doctor, maybe even in the womb, because it, I, I, I have some like similar qualities to my dad. So I think that that's why I came back to it. It was never, it couldn't, I, the, the money thing never factored in because my, my pop did okay for himself. You know, I'm sure he wasn't disappointed that I became it. He's certainly not now, but he had to pay a, a ton of bills. So the incentive for me in particular to go into me- uh, medicine was just that because I didn't really look at risk reward. I wasn't a humanitarian. I'm not convinced I still am. Like I didn't get into medicine to save the world. I, I got into medicine to, to be because, you know, things, this is a field and a discipline where you give everything you got 
and the world around you gives you the resources that you can kind of get better every day. And so if I have any kind of a mantra, it's that. It's, it's a line out of a Queen song. It's a Freddie Mercury line. It's get a little better every day. This is a field, you know, there are some dead fields out there where, you know, week to week, month to month, you're not, you're not getting better. There is not a day, I can say this with honesty, not a day in 30 years that I don't know something about my discipline or my field or medicine that I didn't know the day before. That's a fact. That's not conjecture. Maybe I slept through a day where I was uh, at Disney and, you know, I don't know, walking around the park all day, although even there, not a day. And so that's, that's why I think I went into it and I migrated it toward. I wish I could tell you it was because I was an extreme humanitarian, because I wasn't. Um, when you enter this kind of a field and do this kind of work, by default, you're, if you do what you do and you try to do it at a high level, you're a humanitarian by definition. Um, but, uh, you know, being an extreme humanitarian can be detrimental as well. We talked about why. You, you do not want you know, to, to, to be overly emotional in the wrong situation, you know, at the wrong times. So, but yeah, I, I'm more curious yes. about the next generation. I don't know if either of you guys are interested in it because I, medicine is, is a little bit different now and the, you're not getting paid quite as much or predictably as maybe guys were in the seventies and eighties and nineties. So there's not a financial draw to medicine as, as there was historically. Well, is that is that a good thing? Because then you th are have have you worked with doctors that that only care about money, or or um are all doctors like, out there to save lives? I think before mine, people went into medicine and they cared about money. I think there's so much medicine is so confusing these days. You know, it used to be that about eighty percent of my day was being a doctor. Now it's like fifty, and the other fifty is making sure that this is documented making sure that I argue with this individual about paying for a test. It's all this other BS that, that's, that's involved. So it's less gratifying. So if you become a doctor and you're completely non-financially driven, two years into your career, you're like, are you kidding me with this? Again, this is another podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm here and I did all this training and I want to be a doctor and I want to do the thing. And you're telling me I have to spend, and in my case, it's less for a primary care physician. 70% of my existence is arguing with third parties about nonsensical things. And suddenly if that's how I'm spending my days, you know, and they're, you know, the, the, the world around us is changing too. They're incentivizing doctors. They're paying them not for being a doctor, but for allocation of resources. So what does that mean? Well, if you can tell these 10 patients not to get a test, we'll give you a thousand dollars. But if you order those 10 tests, we're going to take $1,000 away from you. Now you're putting doctors in a position. And again, this is beyond the scope of this discussion. You know, what we started this by. This is rampant, gentlemen. <laughs> if you really want to help people and you want to kind of stay away from that and you want to not go through the four plus three, seven year process, then yeah, probably being a mid-level makes more sense. Nurse practitioner or physician assistant, Right. So you could still practice and help yeah. people. You don't have to saddle yourself with $200,000 debt. You have to deal with the BS because it's out there. But um, the, the nature of medicine has changed. And that's in my career. You know, in the, in the 1990s, I was locked and loaded. I am a little bit of a cynic now um, as it relates to medicine. And, and that's unfortunate. Right. You, you, you guys follow that that argument. I mean, yeah. out there, there's 
there's X amount of dollars and there's third parties and governments that have to figure out what they want to pay for and how. You know, you could tell me as a doctor, uh, hey, guess what? That guy's dying. Uh, you got to go do it, put a balloon in him, open him up, save his life. But we're not going to pay you. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. If on the other hand, you say, not only are we not going to pay you, um, we're going to make your life difficult. When that guy dies, which he may, we're going to put it on your uh, credentialing. We're going to put it on your hospital's credentialing. This has all happened. Then that's a, that's a way of controlling yeah. doctor's behavior. So doctor's behavior right now. Remember, by and large, I'll say this with a very, the people in my profession, I'm going to take myself out of it because I'm not even convinced I'm like this super great guy. The people in my profession are really decent human beings. The ones I came through with in the 90s and trained, right reasons, good people. Doctors, forget what you read or hear. Remember, you're always going to hear the bad story. 99% of physicians are really good human beings. Okay, and that's a higher percentage than a lot of other disciplines. The other 1% is 1%. It's a numbers game. So, but they're now, you drop a good human being into a situation that's unbearable, untenable, and they're going to start to shift their mindset. And that's the tragedy. And this is medicine. This is not Corona. This is unfortunately the way medicine has gone. And a lot of it is because, yeah, historically, you know, doctors, you know, the more tests they order, the more things they do with it. You know, they got inflated amounts of money for this as opposed to that. And so, you know, it was a system that lent itself to abuse 20, 30 years ago. Well, the flip of it is now. Now it's, you know, the doctor's trying to do right by a patient. And the government or a third party or an insurance company is just putting up barrier after barrier. And so you're seeing a lot of doctors mentally crumble as a result of that. But that, again, is a different discussion than what we started with. So becoming a doctor, is not, it's, okay. not, it's not hard and fast. <laughs> well, like you go in there, you save people, you diagnose people, and everyone's happy. It's, there's a lot, there's a lot like, of undercover things that, that goes on in being a doctor. There is so much that a doctor, BS that a doctor has to deal with, yeah. Max. I, I, I wish if you, if, you, if you could hand me, I'll take you know, 18-hour uh, work day, six days a week. I'll take cut in salary. I'll take all that. If you could guarantee me that I don't have to deal with nonsense that's non-clinical, non-medical, I'd sign on like now, okay? But not only can that not be guaranteed, that'll never happen. And every time they think they're kind of fixing it, they're not. So that's the filibustering. I mean, there's a lot. It's, it, it's unfortunate because when I, I, I've been around, you know, people coming through, and 10, 20 years ago, it was a no-brainer. Guy, you want to do something? Be a doctor? Hell, be a cardiologist. It's the best profession there is. And now I have to take pause. Like, you're going to sign up for four years of medical school, seven years of, or three additional years of training, seven years, not make a lot of money, and be dropped into a system which is not as gratifying as it was 30 years ago. You might take pause. And that's sad. And that's something I almost don't want to say on a podcast. Because this is still a profession where you want your brightest, most energetic, most curious, most hardworking individuals. You want them there. You want people who, who are just, you know, shot out of a cannon. You know that. And and I don't know. I hope we're still going to continue to get and recruit those kinds of folks. I think that we will, um, because you know that's that's the ninety nine percent. You know, I say ninety nine percent of the phenomenalists because just that, because those were the people who were going into it then, and I think that they still are. Unfortunately, they're looking at a little bit of a different kind of community. Now, there's a pendulum concept with a lot of professions. So maybe, guys, it'll swing back a little bit at some point. I don't know. 
The here and the now, of course, is we're all just very consumed with trying to get past this thing. Nine, four out of five doctors cannot practice properly because they can't even offer patients things because our hospitals are on shutdown for anything that's not emergent. I think you guys know yeah. that, right? New ways in the field of medicine often has drawbacks, but as Doc Elise explains, it also has many significant benefits. Yes, lower wages does mean less attraction to becoming a doctor, but I think we will, we will always have people that truly want to become doctors to make the world a better place. And so the lower pay, it doesn't mean that we'll have you know less doctors, but I think it means that we will only have doctors that are there to save lives and not there just for the money. Yeah, all they really need is the financial security to ensure that the them, themselves and their families have like this financial security and know that they'll be well and they have the money to to secure themselves but um as doc Ali goes on to say that although many people these days are more true to their passion about truly being a doctor the political side of the profession has encroached on the passion of the individuals um now as these adults are placed into the discipline they have always been excited to begin. They instead suddenly have to worry about the legal drawbacks of operations and decisions that come along with being a professional doctor with real patients. And as you can see, Doc Ali is getting worked up about this topic and it's completely viable that he's so passionate about this subject matter because true doctors are there to save lives and do their job, not to really worry about, oh, if I do this, then this could happen and my job is in jeopardy and then I could lose money, but if I do this, and the patient is at risk, but no consequences come on the legal side of things. Yeah, and now I can see what Doc Ali, you know, along with many other doctors have to deal with. And it is inappropriate and kind of depressing that this is what is being done, you know, to doctors and this is what their day involves. You know, I wish they would just be out there saving lives and not having to deal with, you know, third parties and stuff like that. I mean, that's what they've worked so hard to do. And I mean, even it's even come down to doctors becoming less interested and less passionate about their work because it doesn't Im really involve the things that they work they've worked so diligently for so many years through pre-med and med school which hopefully will take a turn for the better sooner than later because we need more energetic people to go into the fields of medicine constantly because it's so important that doctors are energetic and passionate about their work because otherwise it, it's not the same you know what i'm saying yeah and especially for times like this, in the midst of a crisis, like the coronavirus. Yes. Now, before we close with Doc Ali's final words on life, we have a big announcement. Yes. So, we have contacted many interesting people and invited them to be guests on our podcast. Although, we've had very interesting people on our podcast and we've learned a ton from them, the majority of the responses we received said that the person is too busy to talk to us. Yes, this is quite unfortunate, but to solve this problem, we decided to get our answers through autobiographies. And many famous people have autobiographies, and so we will keep the same sort of format, but we'll get our responses through their autobiographies, which are in their own words still, so it's just not, it's just not the real-time conversation that we're having. And this allows us to gauge their views on life, and we can even discuss life with people that are no longer living. Yeah, that's something I'm really looking forward to because I've never really seen it done before. It'll be really interesting to you know have a discussion with Benjamin Franklin or Nelson Mandela or, or Gandhi. So this will be our second season and episodes will be published every two weeks instead of every week. 
This doesn't mean that season one is over, but because we will still have real interviews, and when we have those, those will be added to season one. Yeah, I mean, it's a new format. It's never really seen before, and season one and season two will be going at the same time, but just at different formats and different paces. Yes. And so now, um, before we close, we, we would like to thank Dr. Ali for allowing us to take up some of his time, and we would like to thank you for listening. Let's listen now to Doctor's final words about about life, and we hope that you will join us in two weeks for the first episode of season two. Backtracking to a, yeah. our one of our older questions. Yeah. So once once doctors like you are put into situations, they sort of does change you a little bit. It's not like a direct process, but once they finish like med school and everything, and then they get put in the actual profession, it does does change you and your outlook as as a person it does it does yes max i'm jaded i'm a jaded individual now i mean i'm jaded but life is different i'm talking now about medicine and the health of yes. the patients uh, i have become jaded and uh i wasn't 1990s to i mean this is before your time like you know but i think in the first decade of my career yo it's in any walk of life you see something that's not quite right and you kind of move past it but this was supposed this was supposed to be the purest profession you know the, 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 this you know in terms of what we do and what we offer we're all you know there's special there's, people do different things within the profession which is also another appeal you, know, you could start medical school and you know the world's your oyster i am not the person i was i have become jaded you know again i i'm talking to two guys who are like 17 years old in the world and i get the sense and i know annoyed i don't know you super well i don't know you max at all and annoyed i don't know you super well you, you guys like are, it is, I envy you, you know, you like the, like literally your whole, your life could change nine different ways. It's all exciting. I mean, I, it's, yes, there's bad in the world, but this is a gift. Being alive is a gift. I don't know why we're here, whether Adam sprung from ease or vice versa, or whether or not there was a big bang. I, I, we evolved from a bug, whatever your, your, your take is, you got 85 years. And, and it's unbelievable what you're offered. And, and by the way, there's no guarantees that you'll be back. So life is phenomenal. But to talk to a doc, and you know, and this is my, this is my life, aside from the family, this is it. You know, I'm a big sports junkie, fine. And be a little bit more pessimistic, cynical, what you're asking, Max, you know, the elephant in the room is, yes, I'm jaded. Yes, I'm not who I was a decade ago. That is a fact. But Life is so fantastic and the world is so fantastic that even if you guys become jaded over the next 30 years, you, you know, so you regress, you know, you, you, you become more jaded. And so life is a little less pleasant on that basis. So what? You started all roses. You guys' lives are roses. Yes, you may not be in love with the president. Yes, there's a virus ravaging war. But I mean, think about it. You can look out your window. Think about all the things you're going to be doing in six weeks that you were taking for granted a year ago and how phenomenal that is. Okay. Think about what you can do now. You can actually go outside. I know one of you is a runner. I, I don't know. So yes, I am jaded. Yes. I am uh, a little bit of a carmudgeon. Yeah. I'm not quite the individual I was 25 years ago internally, uh, but I'll take it. I wouldn't do it any other way. I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I would never in a million years do anything else. The one I did. Not this not and I I've seen it all.